So today we will start with a lesson, what it means to be born again. And I'm teaching this so that you can use this even as you minister to other people. As you talk to them about being born again, you can use this sermon and teach them on that. John chapter 3 is our main verse. And I'm reading from verse 1 in the New Century Version, all the way down to verse 8. Let's read. There was a man named Nicodemus who was one of the Pharisees and an important Jewish leader. One night, Nicodemus came to Jesus and said, Teacher, we know you are a teacher sent from God. Underline that. That's important. Because no one can do the miracles you do unless God is with him. Underline that. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, unless one is born again, he cannot be in the kingdom of God. The, New King, the King James Bible says, unless, true, verily, verily, I say unto you, unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is saying, if you are not born again, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, you will not be able to go to heaven when you pass on. You will not be able to be received into the presence of God when you pass on if you are not born again. Verse 4, Nicodemus said, but if a person is already old, how can he be born again? He cannot enter his mother's womb body again, his mother's body again. How can a person be born a second time? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter God's kingdom. So Jesus is saying, I'm not talking about natural birth. I'm talking about being born of water and of the spirit. And just to explain that, very often when people read that, they assume that what Jesus is talking to is that you must be water baptized to be born again. When Jesus talks of water and of the spirit, he's saying it's the Holy Spirit that brings new birth. And you have to be born of water. It's the water of the word according to the book of James. And when you read also the book of Ephesians, Paul says, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water of the word. So Jesus says, unless you are born again of the word and of the Holy Spirit, what does he mean? Well, how do we get born again? Well, the epistle of Peter says, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed by the word of God that lives and abides forever. So when we receive God's word preached to us, and through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that brings about the new birth. So Jesus says to Nicodemus, I'm not talking about natural birth, but you need to be born of water and of the spirit. Verse 6, human life comes from human parents, but spiritual life comes from the spirit. Don't be surprised when I tell you, you must be born again. Tell your neighbor, you must be born again. Tell your other neighbor, you must be born again. Now, let's, let's talk about this scripture for a while. Jesus is having a conversation with Nicodemus, whom the Bible calls a Pharisee. It's important for us when we read these things in the Bible to try and get into the background of what the Bible is trying to tell us. Because if you don't know that this man was a Pharisee, you're going to miss everything that follows thereafter. He's a Pharisee. Somebody say he's a Pharisee. Look at your neighbor and say, I hope you're not a Pharisee. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Who were the Pharisees? Well, number one, Pharisees were religious or political parties in Palestine in New Testament times. All right? In his case, he belonged to a religious party. He belonged to a group of people. As you know, 
When people belong to groupings, there are certain things that groupings of people believe together. All right? When you come among people, when they are friends, or when they are a party, or when they have joined together to have one formation, it seems that people end up believing certain things, discussing certain things, they get to approach life in a certain way, and there are certain things that all of them adopt a certain type of response to certain things. You'll understand what I mean by that. Not only was Nicodemus part of this religious party, he was also a religious leader. Pharisees were known to be very strict in keeping the laws of God. And they even prided themselves in doing so. They would always boast about keeping the laws. Since they found that other Jews were not as careful enough about keeping the laws of tithing, the laws of ritual purity, they felt that it was necessary for them to place a limit on their contact with the other Jews. So they never went around really relating with other people and having contact with those people. It was worse if you were not a Jew and you were a Gentile. They didn't, have to, they didn't want to have anything with you to do with you. They didn't want to have anything to do with the Samaritans. They didn't even, if they were the Jewish males at this time, the religious males, didn't want to be made contact with by ordinary people. It was even more so if you are a woman. You were not supposed to uh, uh, even make any form of physical contact with them. These Jews, they would not eat in people's homes. They wouldn't eat in a home of a non-Pharisee since they could not be sure that the food had been properly tithed and the food had been properly kept ritually pure. So these guys were very picky. They were very choosy. You know, their, their religion uh, was that of me and my God and nobody else. Their religion was that of them and uh, us and them. Their religion was that of holier than thou. They enjoyed a great deal of support from the people though, even with what they did. And they were always ready to criticize those who didn't keep the law. They looked down upon sinners. They looked down upon those who didn't show interest in God's laws. They prayed several times a day. And when they prayed, they never had a show off. That's why when you read in Matthew chapter 5 and Matthew 6, Jesus starts to correct that. He said, you know, when you pray, don't blow a trumpet to show everybody they are praying. When you pray, you know, he says, you know, he says, when you pray, don't be like the Pharisees. They love praying, standing in the synagogues and in the streets to be seen of men. Jesus wasn't against standing when you pray, but Jesus is saying, don't pray with a wrong attitude. When you do any spiritual thing, it shouldn't be that you are doing it to be noticed by people. You don't worship to be seen by people. You don't give tithe to be seen by people. Can I hear an amen in the house? Now, it doesn't mean people can't know what you're doing. If people find out what I'm doing, there's nothing wrong. But if I'm doing it for the sake of receiving people's combination, according to the Bible, that's all the reward that we're going to get. And so, these Pharisees, they criticized people. They prayed several times a day. They fasted often. They gave tithes. They gave alms. They, they were so religious and so good at what they did, they memorized the five books of Moses and they could recite Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. All those books, they could recite them word for word. And in the New Testament, we note that they encountered the ministry of Jesus. And they were very critical of him. Why? Because Jesus was different to them. Jesus hung around sinners. Jesus went to people's weddings. 
Jesus loved children. Jesus spoke to the woman of Samaria. Jesus allowed the woman that the Bible doesn't give us a name, but it calls this woman a woman who has a sin. Now, unfortunately, it didn't give us a name. But this woman came to Jesus, poured perfume on his feet, wept over him, and wiped his feet with her hair. And this woman is called a sinner. And Jesus didn't behave like the Pharisees. Jesus hung around with wine bibles and tax collectors. And so the Pharisees didn't like him. They said, you are, not a re- you are not a genuine religious leader. They would be there to criticize his sermons. They would be there to, to try and show him how he didn't obey the law of Moses. One day when they were there, they saw his disciples eating with unwashed hands. Then they started quoting Moses. So these Pharisees, all they were concerned about is about them being holier than thou and them pointing out all your wrongs. But yes, what's interesting, even though their motives were wrong, in going to the meetings of Jesus, what he preached went into their hearts. See, there are people whose motives are wrong. And when they talk to you, you can see they don't like what you're doing. But they cannot be able to dismiss the fact that God has changed your life and God has done something in your life. In fact, one of the ways that is one of the most powerful sermon is the sermon of a changed life. When they look at you and they look at the way you used to live, now here you are, you're a changed person. Even though they may argue with you about your belief system, they may tell you that they will not do what you do, but they cannot change the fact that God has changed your life. Can I hear an amen? And so the Bible says, this man, then Nicodemus, then you will understand why he came to Jesus by night. He didn't want his Pharisee friends to see him. God was beginning to work on his heart. So he decides, I don't want my friends to see me. See, sometimes our friends can become the greatest obstacles to us pursuing a life-changing experience with God. And that's why when God begins to deal with you, you have to close your eyes to everybody else and go after God. I know some of you, when you came to church this morning, some people in your neighborhood or some people who knew you said, whoa, even if they are doing that, oh, you come to church because it is your heart that is crying out after God. And it's interesting when Nicodemus came to Jesus, he addresses Jesus with great honor. He says, teacher. In other translation, he calls him rabbi. The Pharisees never called anybody else rabbi. When they called you rabbi, it's because they noticed that you you are a teacher. They noticed that you are an, are an, an authentic religious leader. And when he says to him, Rabbi, he even goes further and says, we can see that you come from God. Even though we don't like what you're doing, but we cannot ignore the fact that God is in your life. We can see that you come from God because no one can do these things unless God is with him. So Nicodemus had been watching Jesus from a distance. And it's evident that his heart was being impacted. So he's coming, leaving his friends out coming at night so that no one should see him, sneaking up, and that's where we got the expression, coming in Nicodemusly. Oh, you didn't know that's where it comes from, to come and talk to Jesus. But Jesus, in responding, he's not only intrigued by the inquisitiveness of Nicodemus, he wants to lead this man to a better life. And Jesus starts talking to him. And says to him, well, you're asking me if, how can you be, how you, you, you are saying all these things, Nicodemus, to me. But what I want you to know, that as you are, you must be born again. 
you must be born again. Nicodemus, I can see you pray three times a day. I know you give tithes. I know you give offerings. I know you are a good person. But Nicodemus, you must be born again. Jesus, in essence, is telling Nicodemus that with all your religious practices that you're doing, your heart has not been changed yet. Your life is still far from God. You are not born again. Is it possible to go to church every Sunday and be far from God? Is it possible really to sit in a church and listen to the word of God and still be far from God? Jesus says, yes, of course. So Jesus, if you're saying that, if you say Nicodemus must be born again, what does it mean then to be born again? Well, Jesus says, let me tell you what it doesn't mean to be born again. To be born again is not attending a church. Because you can go to church and not be born again. Number two, to be born again is not observing religious practices. You can observe all religious practices. Even me sitting here and preaching. It doesn't mean because I'm preaching I'm born again. Three, to be born again is not being a good moral person. Whilst it's good to be a moral person. And we should be moral people. But being a good moral person doesn't mean you are born again. When you are a nice person, it doesn't mean you are born again. Remember the man called Cornelius, who was a good man, the Bible says. He was so good, he looked after his home, he prayed together with his family, he gave gifts to the poor, he prayed often, he fasted often. And one day God sent an angel to Cornelius and said, Cornelius, send people to a place called Joppa. Let them call somebody by the name of Peter. And when he comes here, he will tell you words through which you will be saved. And so Peter comes to the house of Cornelius and he starts preaching and Cornelius got born again. Why? Because it's good to be moral, but being a good moral person doesn't mean you are born again. You must be born again. Tell your neighbor, you must be born again. <laughs> to be born again is not joining a church. And this is what I want to tell people. You know, and this is what I was saying. I see people joining our church. I'm so glad they should join our church. But may I tell you, Grace Bible Church doesn't have a key for heaven. We don't have a master key for heaven. Even if I can lay my hands on you until all your hair falls off your head or until all your Brazilian hair falls off, you will never go to heaven. I can come and spit on you and my holy saliva will never take you to heaven. Going to church will not take anybody to heaven. Number whatever. I don't know what number you're on. Number? Number five. Number five. To be born again is not befriending a man of God or a woman of God. You can be a friend and have a pastor as a friend or a bishop as a friend. That doesn't mean you're born again. Number six. Eh? To be born again is not being faithful in giving your tithe and your offering to the church. As much as it's good to give your tithes, and thank you for giving your tithes and your offerings, but giving our tithes and our offerings doesn't entitle us to go to heaven. Giving a tithe and an offering doesn't mean we are born again. Number seven, and I won't count from no, I'll just say, to be born again is not fasting for religious reasons. God is the same before you fast, during your fast, and after your fast. There's nothing about our fast that will ever change our God. Can I hear an amen in the house? Yeah, it doesn't mean we need, we need to fast. It's good to fast. Number whatever. To be born again is not knowing the Bible or preaching the Bible. You can know the Bible from cover to cover. You can know the Bible from the index all the way through the whole Bible until you know even the maps of the Bible that will not cause you to be born again. Because there are many who are preaching who do not 
who are not born again. And I preached myself in the past without being born again. Number nine, to be born again is not praying every day. As much as it's good to pray every day, but to be born again is not praying every day. Number 10, to be born again is not being water baptized. We saw people being water baptized. You get water baptized because you are born again. Being water baptized is a sign of being born again. But when water baptized, being confirmed, being a leader of a church, being me, being whatever, it will not make you to be born again. Being born again is not becoming a pastor or a bishop. Being born again is not being born in a Christian home. You don't become a Christian because you are born in a Christian home any more than you become a car because you were born in a garage. Some of you were born in Christian homes. And your family has been attending church for many years. When you came to yourself, you were already in church. You've learned all the language of church people. You've memorized all the dancing of church people. You are one of those who was Zula Zuli during the worship. But all the Zula Zuli, all the language of Christianity, all the hallelujah in the right place doesn't mean you are born again. You may be a good person, precious. Maybe people don't even know you are not born again. But I'm here to tell you, if you've never made a conscious decision of receiving Christ as Savior and Lord of your life, my dear, you are not born again yet. You are a good person. We thank God for you. We thank God that you come to church. But you're not born again. Never think when you go to heaven, you're going to look for where are the Grace Bible Church people. There is no room for Grace Bible Church people in heaven. The only room that's there in heaven is for those who are born again. Jesus says, verily, verily, I say unto you, you must be born again. Yeah, you must be born again. Being born again is not taking Holy Communion. Being born again is not being a principled person. Being born again is not being a respectable person. As good as it is to be a respectable person. And on all these accounts, Nicodemus qualified. He qualified. And Jesus says, Nicodemus in Fanagut, I say unto you, you must, you must, you must, you must be born again. See, I attended church since I was 11 years old. Six years old, rather. And I'll be honest with you, it's, it's so good to to go to church when you are young. Because, you know, even if you don't know what you're doing, there's something about being in the atmosphere of God that it instills certain values in your lives. Yeah. I went to church. Loved church. Started teaching Sunday school at the age of 11. Loved the work of God. But I wasn't born again. And I remember when I was nine years old, one day we went to a show with my late father. He was a school teacher. And in those days, they used to take the, the school children out for an outing. You know, it was before we had all these other facilities around. So they would take you to the cinema, Neribita Bioscope. And so we went to AOT Cinema. I mean, AOT Cinema was the staircase of the time. If you went to AOT Cinema, you were it. If you went to AOT Cinema, you were trendy. If you went to AOT Cinema, you were hot. I mean, really? Yeah, here was a place to go. If you had a girlfriend, you take them to air to cinema. Shaba yaba. If you've taken her there, you are the number one boyfriend in the whole world. Now, don't look at me like that. I didn't say I took anybody there. I'm just explaining. And so, and cinema, all kinds of things happened. So, the students went there. We were, they had gone to attend a live 
show, a, a performance by a singer called Percy Sledge. Only our age group will understand what we're talking about. The rest of you, you can go on Google. You can Google Percy Sledge. He was quite a singer. So here we were waiting for the show to start. As we were waiting for Percy Sledge, the, 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 the young people who were high school students started singing choruses. It was my first time to hear choruses. Because, you know, I'm in a church. We sing hymns and they're good hymns. But I didn't know that genre of music. Choruses, you know. They sing and they clap their hands, you know. Bazalwana, iyo si zongena. Bazalwana, iyo You know, this song I've never understood. Si zongena, marwai bari iyo. I've never understood. I mean, I mean, just sing bazalwana si zongena. Why le iyo? Anyhow, that's just for another day. Bazalwana, iyo si So they're singing. So they come up on stage and I could see these young people are happy. These young people, they're enjoying being in church. These young people are excited. Then they started giving testimony, bupaki. It was my first time to hear the word bupaki. Testimony. Yeah. So by I'm listening to these people talking about how God changed their lives, how Jesus changed their lives, talking about a specific day where their life was changed, a specific decision that they made when their life was changed. I'm nine years old sitting there. I'm a regular churchgoer, faithful in going to church. But I realized one thing. The way they were talking about God, they were much more closer to God than me. The way they were talking like God's like they are, they are, they are here with God. And for me, even if I went to church, God was still far away. That's why when I pray, I have to shout, Mudimu! Why? But to them, God was just here. But not only that, God to them was not a story. God to them was a lifestyle. Christianity to them was not something they had to read from a book. Christianity was their lifestyle. Oh, as I said there, I realized as a nine-year-old, these people seem to know something that I don't know. And unconsciously, I started from that age seeking God. I started from nine years old seeking for this thing that they had that I knew I didn't have. And it was at the age of 17 that I finally found out what they were talking about. When I attended a service conducted by Youth Alive, a rally, I was invited by my sister. And as I went to this place, sitting there as a 17-year-old boy, you know, and they had a guy who was giving a testimony, Upfagas, Bupaki, hey, Ronald Pillay. This guy, in his former life, he used to be involved in gangsterism. This brother was bad. This guy, they knew about him, Comedolence. When I shaka up. This guy is a guy all around that can go to money. Everybody would be quiet, go to money. Some of you may not know what Dumani is. Dumani is the is the last coach of the of the of the of the of the of the train. Uh, those years, it would be the last coach of the train or the first coach, either wherever. And in this coach, it's only people who are gangsters who go in there. Yeah, there's a special language, there's a special type of stamto. You know, the stamto, the stamto, the stamto, but the stamto. They're in Dumani, you speak stamto and they can see you. 
These guys had a certain demeanor, a certain dress code, and they know one another because they are gangsters. And Indumani is the, is the strongest who rules there. Yeah. Ronald Pillay, Beba Maz, and Okap. Magangene Tumani, Tulumoya. Just explain to somebody what tuling moya is in English. The wind gets quiet. But this guy one day, you know, his life was, he was either in jail or in hospital under police guard. That was his life, Ronald Pillay. That was his life. And one day he had just been released from jail Walking around in Midlands looking for trouble on a Friday night. And he, he, he notices that this house where there is a night vigil, Mlindelo. And he goes into this place looking for trouble. And he runs into a service where a preacher, Umfundis, was a pastor. He was arrested by the word of God and gave his life to Jesus and became a... Come on, somebody. Somebody give the Lord a shout in this house. Yeah. Don't ever think about what Yeah. So here I am listening to a former gangster, Abu Akastramto, who was born again through Murutu Apostola. And he's the one who's testifying. And here I am in Nakaswanali Nicodemus. And I'm listening to Ronald Pillay. And I'm looking at my life and I'm saying, what's up, King? Ronald Pillay, even if I go to church, I'm still very far. Thankfully, they explain to us how to be born again, which I'm going to do in a short while. And I lifted my hand. I said, I also want to be born again. And I was born again on the 5th of August, 1978. If it was not for that, I wouldn't be preaching this gospel that I'm preaching right now. And so as you see me, I'm a product of Batuba Postola. I'm a product of people Babu Anstamto. I'm a product of Batuba Godatri from somebody give the Lord a big hand of praise. Ow! With all my good works, I realized I wasn't born again. See, your story may be different in the way your life has gone. Maybe your life is not like that of Nicodemus. Maybe your life might be similar to this guy. Maybe not exactly the same. But you may come from a rough background like this guy, Mark Clark. His story was published in one of the Christian magazines in the U.S. last month, November 2017. As we talk, he is a, he's, a, he's the founding pastor of the village church in Vancouver, Canada. But his childhood was marred by substance abuse and a father who was an abuser. But he met a friend who changed his life. And this is Mark's story, and I quote, I was raised in a staunchly atheist household. We never went to church. We never had a Bible. We never talked about God. My father was such an ardent atheist that he demanded my mother spell my brother's name, Matthew, with only one T to avoid putting two T's because the Matthew in the Bible has two teeth, T's in it because he wanted to avoid any biblical resemblance. Sadly enough, my father named me Mark. 
Clearly, he didn't see the irony. <laughs> I heard about Christianity for the first time at the summer camp when I was nine years old. I was fascinated by the concept of God. Not enough to get me to attend church or read the Bible or whatever else religious people did, but enough that I found myself going back to the camp every year, talking about God again, and then coming home to a very different life. You could sum up that life as follows. Stealing from cars, stealing from stores, stealing from purses of my friends' mothers, stealing from anywhere we could, really to, go, to get money for drugs, to get money for partying and everything else you do when you don't have God in, in your life. The first time I did drugs, I was eight or nine years old. A guy from my neighborhood cooked up some hash and wheat for me. And some of my friends behind the local convenience store, we gathered there to use these drugs. By ninth grade, drugs were a daily part of my life. At one point, I took drugs that were laced with something dangerous. And my friends watched in horror as I lay in the middle of the street, eyes sparkling, skin go gone cold and pale. My parents divorced when I was eight years old. Shortly thereafter, I acquired a neuropsychiatric disorder called Tourette syndrome, which later developed into obsessive compulsive disorder. I would adopt a habit, a twitch, or a particular noise that I would do over and over and over again for months until another habit came along. I would pound my hands together a specific number of times, swear out loud or smack my face among all the other odd gestures. Without performing these routines, I was convinced that something bad would happen to me or the people around me. It all sounds crazy now, but it was the reality of my life then. No outside observer ever would have guessed that one day I would become a pastor. People tend to avoid churches where the preacher drops the F-bomb every few minutes. My father was a classic abuser of a dad. He wasn't responsible at all. He couldn't hold a job down. He didn't know how to raise my brother and me. He divided his time between drinking and screaming his lungs out at a football game. He died of lung cancer when I was only 15 years old. I never got to say goodbye to him. And he never told us that he was sick. He was only 47 years old when he died. There were only 18 people at his funeral. As I stood over his casket, questions flooded my mind. Sitting in that very lonely funeral home, pondering where exactly my father was, I asked myself, what do I believe? What do I believe about God? What do I believe about myself? What do I believe about heaven and hell? What do I believe about science? What do I believe about eternity and, and morality and my father? Where is he? What is he now? When I was 17 years, then I met a guy called Chris, a former drug dealer at my school who had become a follower of Jesus. Amen. Having been on the verge of starting to sell drugs myself, I was intrigued by his life, his questions, and his passion for God. We met in woodworking class. He challenged me to examine my doubts, to read the Bible, pray, and think about the implications of what I believed about life and God. In that crucible, 
I knew I would either lose the small amount of faith I had possessed since my days at summer camp, or it would explode and change me. I began to study about and wrestle with the existence of God and study about God scientifically, philosophically, and and questions of suffering evil that came from my own experience, especially my sickness and the loss of my father. I wrestled with how reliable the Bible is, the legitimacy of miracles, the dark history of the church filled as it was with judgment, violence, and hypocrisy. I wrestled with the doctrine of hell and how God could allow my father, who to my knowledge never became a Christian, to go to a place of everlasting torments. Since this didn't square with my understanding of justice, love, even the character of Jesus, the more I explored, the more I saw the emotional power and philosophical soundness of Christianity. And then when I met Chris, finally, I gave my life to Jesus Christ and began a journey of total transformation. Hallelujah. As I close, five things that Mark did as we answered the question, what must I do to be born again? And if you are here and you are not born again, you can do these five things. They are not difficult. They are very easy. Number one, realize that all have sinned. Romans 23, 23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We are all sinners. We all have sinned. I'm not talking about the sin that we've committed. We all commit sin. But the sin I'm talking about is the sin of being separated from God. We inherited this sin from our great-grandfather Adam when he sinned in the Garden of Eden. The Bible says, through the sin of one man, death came, and death passed to all men through the transgression of one man. Realize no matter how good you are, you are not good enough to save yourself. So acknowledge that you are a sinner. Acknowledge that you are far from God. Number two, understand then that the wages of this sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Because of this sin, we die. And I'm not talking about physical death only, but we die spiritually, removed from the life and the nature of God, removed from the power of God, removed from the knowledge of God, removed from the peace that passes all understanding that comes only from God. And even worse, when we die, we get lost in eternal damnation. Unless you understand that you will pay for your sin with your life. Unless we understand that we deserve to die and we are condemned to death, we will not understand what the wages of sin is. But that verse says, but the gift of God is eternal life. That moves me to my third point. God gave us his gift. It tells us that in John three sixteen, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son. God so loved you that he reached out to you and me to save us. The Bible tells us God so loved the world, he gave his son to die for us on the cross so that everyone who believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God loves you no matter what you've done. No matter how big your sins are, they are not too big for the love of God. 
No matter how long you have done wrong, you have not done long enough wrong for God not to be able to change you. It doesn't matter what people say about you. Even if people say there is nothing that can turn you around. God's love is so broad it cannot be measured. It's so high you can't go over it. It is so low you can't go under it. It is a love that reaches out. It's a love that cannot be measured in any way. It's a love that looks at you and sees you as valuable and precious. God loves the whole world. Each one of us, where you are sitting, God loves you. God saw you and I as his children, perishing, going down to hell, and he gave his best to save us from perishing. And number four, be aware therefore that even if God has reached out to save us, we need to take the initiative to receive the gift that he is giving to us. John 1 verse 10 says, Jesus came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. Verse 12, but to all who believed him, who accepted him, he gave them the right to become the children of God. You must personally receive Christ into your life. You must personally take an active step to invite Christ in your life. A born again person is as one who has received Jesus Christ in their life and they have determined to live a life controlled by the word of God and under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. You say, how do I receive Christ? In closing, Romans 10 tells us, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead and he died for you and you will be saved. It's not a difficult thing. Believe in your heart that Jesus died for me. He died for my sins. He died for my wrongs. He died to save me from my sin. He died to change me from my path. And therefore, I receive him today. I receive you, Jesus, to come into my life. And I say with my mouth, from this day, you will be the controller of my life. You will be the guide of my life. I submit myself to you. When you take this initiative in believing in Jesus, you also will be born again. When you receive him into your heart and say it with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord, he's going to change your life right now, right here. And even those of you who are watching by way of television and those of you who are streaming wherever in the world you are, you can make that decision right where you are of inviting Jesus Christ into your life. As we bow our heads right now and go into a time of prayer, I want to ask you to think about your life. Think about your life. Bow your heads, please. And close your eyes, please. Bow your heads, please. Close your eyes right now. I want to say what Jesus said. You must be born again. And the question is, are you born again? If you were to pass on, Would you go to heaven? If your life was to end right now, where would you go? If you have that question unanswered, may I suggest, please don't leave this place with doubt in your heart. God wants to reach out to you. He wants to change your life. He wants to come into your life. Transform everything. Make you a new person. Change everything about you. I want to give you an opportunity. Wherever you are. If you say. I've heard God's word today. I realize. 
I'm not born again. But I want to be born again. Would you please pray for me? If that is you, and you need the prayer, and you want God to change your life, and you want to be born again, would you raise your hand right where you are? Just raise it up. Thank you for those hands. Thank you for those bold hands. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. May I ask the people who've raised their hands, would you kindly just stand on your feet right where you are, please? Just stand on your feet. As many of you, just stand on your feet. This is what you do in this church. You can put your hands down, but just stand on your feet. If you're sitting next to somebody who should be standing, just encourage them. You know what? I'll stand with you. You must be born again. You must be born again. Thank you, Jesus. This is what I want to do. I want to lead you in a prayer. A prayer of inviting Jesus to come into your life. You don't need to be ashamed at all because this is what we do here. We lead people to Christ. I want to ask you to come from where you are standing. Even those of you who are right at the back. And just walk to the front please. And as you come, don't leave any of your belongings behind. Just walk to the front. I want to pray for you in the front. Just give them a big hand as they come.